welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider. Each week, we invite different specialists to give advice and information about raising children in today's environment. This week, we have on Meg Gitlin, who is a psychotherapist. We really talk about how to find the right therapist, what to say and what not to say to a friend who might be struggling. For example, you and a friend are having a conversation. Your friend is going through a breakup. Meg really gives us a lot of tips of just what to say to a friend. Does your friend want advice or do they just want you to listen? We discuss many different things, including what is going on today and how to address differing opinions with Israel and Palestine. She's incredible. I'm excited for you all to listen to today's podcast. I would say probably to all clients, I'll say, why don't you take a week break from social media and we'll check in, you know, because usually I see people once a week and, you know, just explore how you felt about it. And kind of across the board, people feel a lot better when they're not spending a ton of time on social media. Today's tip of the week is how to properly read to your child. I brought a book today so that you can all watch how I would do this. Typically, people have their child on their lap back to front and they're reading like this and showing the pictures to their child. What we actually want to do is have your child facing you, whether they're sitting up on your legs, they're sitting up in a seat, maybe on a pillow, on a couch, and you want them to actually watch your mouth. Yes, the pictures are important. Most likely your child cannot read yet. It's more important that you are modeling proper speech. That's the first tip I have. The second tip is the words don't matter. Again, I doubt that your child is going to be upset that they are missing out on one or two words on the page. The pictures matter. You can even just look at the picture and completely skip the entire story. Wow, I see a red bus. What animals do you see on the page? So really, reading the actual story, it doesn't matter. The words don't matter. Have your child watch you as you speak very articulately, slowly, and even just have them watch your mouth as you make exciting words. And the final tip is if your child is of this age, they can even help you turn the page, use wait time, and really just get them involved as much as possible. I am very excited to welcome Meg Gitlin, psychotherapist to the podcast today. Welcome, Meg. Thanks for having me. Of course. So for our listeners who don't know much about what exactly a psychotherapist is, Can you give us a quick definition as to what exactly you do? Yeah, of course. So a psychotherapist is a mental health professional who uses various forms of talk therapy. You know, everyone kind of has their own toolkit, but to treat mental illness and emotional issues that Mm -hmm. arise for their patients. So you can have a variety of different educational backgrounds. You can be a psychotherapist if you are a psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor, social worker. So my background is in social work. I graduated and worked at Mount Sinai Hospital for nine years, working with the chronically ill and their families, which was really wonderful training for me. And at the same time, I kind of built up my private practice on the side with additional training. And my kind of target population is young, highly motivated, you know, high functioning individuals who, you know, may struggle with anxiety or depression or relational things or transitional issues. But for the most part, my clients are are 
very interested in coming to therapy to figure out how to best handle these situations. And we kind of put our heads together and I give them tools and we figure it out together. Awesome. Okay. So that explains it very well. What really inspired you to work as a psychotherapist? So as the daughter of two therapists, I think the idea was uh, never really far from my mind. Um, When I graduated college, you know, I think that there's a certain like life experience that you feel you need to have some under your belt in order to give advice to others. Um, So when I graduated, I, you know, worked a few other jobs and I really just found that like the most meaningful things for me were interactions with others on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's something that I grew up with as someone who was, you know, very sensitive for better or worse, sometimes for worse in my own personal life. But, um, you know, as someone able to really be non-judgmental and hold space for those when they needed it. You know, I have a bunch of questions for you, but I really want to start with just social media I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I Mm -hmm. have my Talking with Tata Instagram, which we try to promote tips for parents. I love it. It's a lot of responsibility. So about six to eight months ago, I deleted or I deactivated my personal Instagram. I'm not sure if it was necessarily impacting my mental health, but it was definitely a lot of time on social media. Um, And we'll get into everything going on with current events, but you know, how do you find that social media really impacts your clients or your patients' mental health these days? Right. So I would say for the most part, very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there are definitely kind of outliers, people who can go on social media and they utilize it for something, whether it's like an echo chamber or they like the, you know, constant stimulation Um, But what I found in my practice and in my life is that most people really struggle with something, you know, called compare despair. You know, we're so bombarded by images Mm -hmm. and our brains, um, and this is kind of part of like cognitive behavioral therapy, but our brains tell us the story about these images. The people I work with are very, very smart individuals. It's really hard for them to take a beat and be like, okay, well, maybe this isn't the whole story. Yeah. Or maybe this is, you know, the highlight reel, which we all know, and we would all tell each other. But, you know, it's funny that you talk about taking breaks, because that is one thing that I'll I would say probably to all clients, I'll say, why don't you take a week break from social media and we'll check in, you know, because usually I see people once a week and, you know, just explore how you felt about it. And kind of across the board, people feel a lot better when they're not spending a ton of time on social media, you know, and, and there's been study after study done mainly on like high school and college kids just about how it leads to, you know, lower self esteem, loss of confidence. Uh, you know, rise in anxiety and depression. But in my own practice and in my own life, look, I think it keeps going. I think Mm -hmm. when you're, you know, kids are screaming in the background and you see this like beautiful family, you know, beautiful family portrait, you feel something about the way you're living and about the way that these people seem to be living. But I can tell you as a therapist, like, you know, you see pictures of people on vacation and it elicits a lot of emotion but half the time people are fighting or they're struggling with their own stuff. So yeah, I think it's important to keep it in mind, but it's hard for us. Yeah. I think, look, especially this, the younger generations grew up on it. Um, you know, I think Facebook came about when I was in eighth grade and then Instagram, um, shortly after college. So I feel like I can take a little bit of a break, but you know, it is an addiction in some way. 
Yeah, hundred percent. A lot of my clients will report like even when they delete it, they'll go to touch yeah. it. And what I try to re remind them, I'm like, look, if you can do this week, you'll realize that when you go back on, everything is as you left it. Absolutely. And I think even back to my own field, I mean, you know, there's a lot of young parents who say, okay, well, this person's child started talking at eight months and they posted on Instagram. Why isn't mine doing that? And I get parents calling me probably, I mean, multiple times a week just saying, you know, I saw this and that comes from social media. I also believe everyone's an expert. Um, and for those who are listening, I'm putting quotes. Everyone is a quote unquote expert on social media. And I think even in your field, you probably see a lot of people who don't actually have the background, but they are saying that they are, you know, whether it's a therapist, psychotherapist, psychiatrist, you know, they're putting quotes out there and teaching people when they probably don't even have the education or the background to really do so. Right. Yeah, look, I think that therapy has historically been very hard to access because yeah. of cost. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's a mixed bag, like a lot of things. I think it's really wonderful that these therapists, and I used to do it, you know, put themselves out there on social media and share tools and new perspectives. Um, because a lot of people aren't getting them anywhere. Yeah. So if they can log on to Instagram for free or TikTok for free and see something like resonates with them and makes them feel not so alone, I think that's such an incredible thing. And that's social media being positive. However, you know, social media is not a replacement for therapy and yeah. people self-diagnose. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had people come in on a first session and say like, oh, my mom, you know, is a gaslighter. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, maybe, yeah. I hope not, but let's talk about what you understand gaslighting to mean. Because, you know, all of these kind of psychological dynamics become buzzwords. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. so, you know, it's like anything, there's good and bad, but I just feel like over time for our generation, social media has has kind of from a psychological perspective, has kind of swayed negative. I completely agree. And unfortunately, now it's coming to the kids. You know, I see these five-year-olds who are, you know, looking at it and want to go on Instagram and TikTok, and it's it kills me. But again, you know, to each his own. I did bring up parenting. Obviously, it is a field um, that I work with a lot of new parents. I have a lot of people that wrote in wanting just recommendations for new moms trying to navigate, you know, the world of parenting, a full-time job and a full-time parent. Um, do you have any recommendations of just how parents and moms in general can really navigate having a full-time job as well as, you know, being a full-time parent? So I, you know, I think, and this is very hard for, for people to accept or to hear, to understand that you can't really be a full-time parent and a full-time mom. Mm -hmm. You know, compromises have to be made. Um, and I think when you set yourself to that standard, you're almost setting yourself up for disappointment. I'll never forget, I once had a therapist say to me, I was in a job at the hospital that I really loved, I really felt passionately about, but it, I could only do it full time. I was had a growing practice and I was trying to get pregnant. And mm -hmm. he was just like, you can't do it all. Like you, you, you have to let go of something or figure out a way to to give up this idea of perfection yeah. and everything. So I think for people, uh, you know, for new moms, I have great empathy for them. I am a mother. You are one. Yep. And, yes. And I, you know, and I work um, and it's very difficult, but I think probably the advice that I would give is to figure out what your non-negotiables are, right? So like, if you know that it's really important that you're home for bath time every night, but you can never be at a PTA meeting or you're not there, to walk your kids to the bus, 
really commit to being present for the things that you want to be present for. Because I think your kids feel that too. And I would say the same thing of work. And again, this isn't easy, but it's a goal, something that can be worked on in therapy or on your own. But like, you know, really trying to commit to being present in the thing that you're in. Mm -hmm. So if you're at work and you know that, you know, of course, it's different if your kid's school calls, but that you're not you're not doing things for parenting when you're supposed to be at work. Right. Um, and look, that's not easy. It takes a village. It takes resources and figuring out, you know, whether it's in-laws or your parents or hired help, how you're going to do it. Yeah. But I think really the main piece is acceptance that you're not going to be able to be everything to everyone. Yeah. Once you let go of that, it's certainly not easy but at least you're not striving for this impossible ideal. Absolutely. And I think that advice really goes for not just parents. I think it goes for, you know, your professional identity and trying to be the best friend, the best partner, the best family member. You know, it goes into so many different elements and just parts of your life, which I think is important. Um, you know, it doesn't just have to be a new mom who's struggling with the balance. It could just be anybody, which I think is, you know, something I want everyone to hear. You know, a lot of people and a lot of people that I work with have gone so far in their careers because they're somewhat perfectionistic. Yeah. Um, and I think that probably that works when it can work for you. But when there's so many more things on your plate, um, I think we want to strive for flexibility. Yep. Um, you know, saying, oh, wait, I'm not going to pack my kids lunch for school every day. I'm going to pay to have them eat at school or I'm going to ask my nanny to do it or I'm going to meal prep, you know, just kind of really even like, I'm very into strategy. So like take sitting down, taking a look at your week and seeing like, okay, these are the things that are like highlighted that I don't want to touch. And Mm -hmm. these are the things where like I can order in tonight or I'm going to, you know, a lot of my clients in the city and of course this is resource dependent, but like they're so stressed out. I'm like, take an Uber to the gym in the morning. Mm -hmm. If, If that allows you more time and you're less stressed out or send your laundry out. Yeah. It just gets more and more intense as the responsibilities pile up. So the ability to not focus on perfectionism and instead shift to being flexible and thoughtful will really serve you or serve any parent. Absolutely. Not focusing on perfectionism. That's something I would love to work on. So I know we discussed, you know, how you really can't be a full-time parent as well as working full-time. One question that I know a lot of uh, listeners wrote in with is, you know, milestones are changing and people are changing. How do you suggest people deal with just struggling with their professional identity, you know, struggling to go to work every day? Do you believe, you know, is it a lack of passion? Is it dissatisfaction? Or is it just people are growing and the job might not apply to their life anymore? So I I think that the, you know, the function of of jobs, how our generation sees it is very different the way that even like our parents did, right? Our parents went to college, they graduated, whether they went to graduate school or not, they kind of picked a path and stuck with it. And the intention, you know, like, look, in an ideal world, we would be incredibly passionate about our jobs, thrilled to wake up in the morning, you know, make a lot of money, fit with our lifestyle. But I think, you know, things have really changed for our generation. I think that, you know, there is an emphasis that like we need to be defined by our profession. Yeah. Um, Look, I don't know if it's possible for everyone. I think that, you know, depending on your age, where you are in your life, you kind of have to sit down and ask yourself some questions. So for, For me as a therapist, that would look like, 
um, you know, when you see what your boss does or like a higher up at your company, do you, you know, could you be, see yourself being happy doing that? So mm -hmm. like, is it just that you're kind of in, you know, I have a lot of clients who work in finance and they are just doing such a grunt work right now. And they're miserable. They're yeah. exhausted. They're overworked, but they're doing it as a means to an end, right? Like they know that they're getting somewhere. Yeah. You know, another question I would pose and, and I think that the answer to that question would be very important in figuring out where to go next. But what does your job provide you with? Like, mm -hmm. if it doesn't provide you with the sense of passion, um, you know, does it provide you with a big paycheck that you really need to live your lifestyle? Or does it provide you with flexibility because you can work from home and be there when your kids get home from school? Right. Um, so I think this idea that our career needs to be really central in our identity Yes, it's part of it, um, but I think you can be defined by other things, a woman, a mother, um, you know, to establish things outside of work if you, you know, have time that, that bring you pleasure and make you happy. Um, so I think that those are all things to explore. And look, I, I think to bring it back to social media, the idea that like we should be skipping through the streets going to work. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that a job could be trying on clothes and making a ton of money for that, yeah. you know, it's kind of warped our generation a little bit. So yeah. like, that is not at all to say that not like, realistic. you yeah. should not find a different career path if you're really unhappy. But I do think that like all of those things are very important to consider. Absolutely. Um, and I think that like making the decision to make a total, you know, left turn on your career path takes, you know, guts. It takes resources and it takes hard work. Um, so I think these are all really interesting questions and, and things that would be great to explore in therapy mm -hmm. um, with someone who can kind of challenge you on them and also sit down and like make a game plan if ultimately you decide that you want a new career or that um, or that you need to figure out how to learn live with your current career and not feel so weighed down by it. In terms of finding the quote unquote right therapist. Is there a method for seeking out a therapist? You know, male, female, do you click with them? What's really your advice for just seeking out the perfect therapist for you? Everyone is different. Um, I do I do really think fit is very important in therapy. Yeah. Specifically the kind of therapy that I do. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's sometimes when like just talking to anyone as opposed to no one is super helpful. Yeah. But when I do a consult, you know, of course I want the client some of the time. But I'll also say, you know, I just want to encourage you, speak to a couple of therapists, see if people are picking up what you're putting down. And, you know, if you're flex, you know, if your schedules drive, um, if the finances make sense, if you feel like they get you, their approach sounds good to you. I think what happens to people is that it often takes them a big push to start the, the search process for a therapist. Mm -hmm. And so once they emotionally get themselves there, it's like they kind of just go with the first person that they speak to. But I'm very encouraging of, of you know, speaking to a few people because it's an important relationship. And, you know, it's like deodorant or birth control. Yeah. It's like the same one does not work for everyone. Some yeah. people would rather have a man. Some people would rather have a woman. Um, and, you know, people's approaches very vastly. I think that, you know, it makes sense to talk to a couple people. There's wonderful organizations like Alma, Psychology Today. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I think is great is like, if you have a friend who you know loves their therapist, have them ask their therapist for a referral. Yep, absolutely. It's just like, I mean, 
It's like finding a doctor. You probably wouldn't go to the first doctor you spoke to unless, of course, you loved them and you clicked, but you know, you're finding someone that just, you're basically opening up your entire life to them. So you have to form, you know, a trusting relationship, which I'm assuming that can kind of take a few sessions. It might not happen immediately off the bat. Yeah. Look, it definitely, it takes time. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes a client needs to say to a therapist, like, you know, I always say like, let me know if I'm wrong or if something I'm saying doesn't feel good to you or, Mm -hmm. you know, correct me because really the success of the therapeutic relationship is dependent upon communication. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, like everyone, therapists are human, they mess up, they make assumptions, um, they might say things that land wrong. So I think it's an ongoing relationship. And even though it takes time, you kind of want to start with someone that you feel like could get it. Yeah. And is there really a perfect or appropriate time to consult a psychotherapist or do you kind of hit a point, a breaking point, and then, you know, you're You know, it's so different. It. And I think it also depends, like, how you were raised. Our generation is much more seeing mental health as, you know, the way that you would see, like, working out. Maybe mm-hmm. not that much yet, but, but it's getting there, mm-hmm. you know, where so many people are just like, it would feel really nice to talk to someone who is not biased yeah. and who has tools and is trained. Um, I think a lot of people wait until they reach a breaking point. Um, look, therapy is expensive. It's timely. You know, you have to take time out of your day. Yep. So people have different things that bring them to that point. But, yep. you know, I think most therapists are happy to meet you where you're at. Absolutely. So, In a few minutes, I do want to get to everything going on in the news right now with Israel and Palestine, but I had one more question for you, which I guess can somewhat be applied, but are there things to avoid saying when you are trying to help someone who's struggling with their mental health, you know, do's and don'ts for supporting friends and family, just a difficult time. I know for me, um, I try to be a very empathetic person. I work with um, a lot, or I'm just friends with a lot of people who are, you know, getting married, pregnant, whatever it is. And I never know if I'm saying something that is right or wrong. Um, so do you have any recommendations for us just what to avoid saying or what you should say to someone? The number one thing is you want to avoid invalidating someone's emotional experience. Mm-hmm. So if someone is saying to you, and this is like more mental health stuff, yeah. but if someone is saying to you, like, I'm feeling you know, really badly, I can't get out of bed, or I just, you know, things feel really bleak for me. Um, You want to definitely avoid comparing, you know, there's no Olympics for suffering. You know, maybe your friend is upset because she, I don't know, didn't get into a workout class she wanted or she stubbed her toe or whatever. Likely there's more behind that story, but it doesn't help to say, Oh, you have it, you know, but you have it really well and you have healthy kids and, you know, you really just want to kind of hold space for them. I do think when we're talking about something like a wedding or kids, something that's a little bit, you know, more topical and not so much mental health, um, it often helps to say like, are you looking for advice or do you, or do you want to just vent? And like, you know, can I just listen? I love that. Yep. Um, because I think people like, it's a good impulse within us. It's, it's There's nothing like, you know, nefarious about it. But I think we just, we want to help. And sometimes if we try to problem solve, it can come off as judgmental or not what the person is looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like asking that kind of simple question um, is helpful. Absolutely. And 
yeah, I think you just want to like hold space for them. I think that people feel an impulse to be judgmental. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I always say is like, kind of pretend you're a social worker, be really curious, ask questions, and then reflect back. So you're not really inserting anything that you feel or think you're just like kind of listening to them and saying, yeah, it, it sounds like it feels really hard that, you know, your kid isn't walking yet. And he's the oldest in his friend group or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I think that that's what makes people feel that they want to open up to you mm -hmm. um, more so than if you're like, well, have you tried this? Or, you know, why don't you do that? Because most likely they've gone through all of those scenarios in their head. Yeah. And I struggle with that because sometimes moms who I'm friends with will come to me and they, they vent, but I, you know, I do want to use your approach of, do you want advice from a speech therapist or are you just looking to vent to a friend? You're wearing both hats. So it's like a little bit, like they might not even know that they might not even know that they wanted, don't want advice yep. until they hear the advice and it forces them to do something. Yeah. But yeah, I just think like in that, you know, the, the things that I would just kind of keep in mind are like, you don't want to invalidate someone's experience. You don't want to compare it to anyone else's difficulty. Mm -hmm. And you want to try, if you can, to have a clear understanding of what kind of support they're looking for yeah. um I think because we're talking because we're talking about mental health I do just want to say like if there's a situation where someone is talking about you know self-harm or they're feeling so low um you know that is a situation where you can take a more action-oriented approach yeah. um and kind of helping them get resources so I would say that's like the one time where like you really want to you know, not just sit and listen. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Obviously going back to um, what I mentioned before, kind of the elephant in the room here with Israel and Palestine. And of course, we're not going to get into the, you know, social issues and the um, politics of it all. But I do, I am curi curious for you. I've been posting a lot on my social media page. I see it on social media. I know we discussed the impact that social media has on you. How would you really advise someone to handle conversations about this topic, you know, if they're feeling triggered, fearful, or, you know, just we have different opinions on things. So, right. of course, I have some people who message me on Instagram, maybe not agreeing with me, and I don't know how to respond to that. You know, I do have a different opinion from some people. How do you really suggest right. from a professional point of view how to handle this? So, look, I think people's minds are not changed on Instagram, yeah. and they are not changed in single conversations. And I also think that the things on Instagram, I'm not saying that they're not true, but I think that they are created to in, invoke emotion. So, you know, a lot of clients and friends, even in the past couple of weeks, I said to them, like, you know, have you tried taking a break from Instagram for a day or two? Because mm -hmm. it is just so triggering, no matter how you feel, what your politics are, what your beliefs are. I think reminding yourself that like, you know, if you respond to a friend's story and it's not the same, they don't hold necessarily the same beliefs. You know, the thing I would want to ask yourself is like, you know, am I comfortable? Do I want to have this conversation knowing that like our, our views don't really align? Yeah. And like, is this a worthy thing? you know, how are my emotions running about this right now? Like, can I tolerate a conversation that is upsetting mm. um, or really triggering for me? So I think a lot of this, um, because these conversations are happening and, you know, not everyone always agrees, even if they agree on some things, they don't always agree on everything. Mm. So I think it's like really taking like a beat and saying like, how am I going to feel if this goes totally south? Yeah. 
because by the way, most of the time it will. Absolutely. Like, yes, it is possible to have respectful discourse, but I just think that the, the topics are so hot right now that like, I would encourage people to err on the side of caution mm-hmm. if they feel that it's going to be difficult for them. And, you know, you can even start a conversation with a friend and decide that you want to pump the brakes and mm-hmm. just say, look, I know I brought this up. It's feeling really overwhelming for me. Um, I'm not in a place where I can talk about it. And even if you disagree on the topic, I would hope that, a you know, that a friend would say like, oh, you know, would back off. Absolutely. Um, because these are, you know, pretty heavy things and people have very strong opinions. And so like entering into a conversation about it can be really triggering. It could throw off your entire day. Yep. And I think your advice of you can start a conversation and maybe not finish it, you can kind of put a pause on it, really goes to everything. Politics, you know, um, obviously what's going on in the Middle East. I can go on talking about a relationship. I think sometimes you might ask or comment on someone or maybe even just um, ask for their opinion like we discussed before, but then maybe say, you know what, let's put a hold on this conversation for now. I think that's something we all probably need to listen to. It's okay to put a break on everything. Yeah, like I'm getting, you know, I know I brought this up. Like you can always say communication is so key. So you could say like, I know I'm the one who responded to your story, but like I'm feeling really emotional. I don't want to say anything I don't mean yeah. or like I need to take a step back. People are feeling very impulsive right now. Yeah. And once you get into it, if you don't if you don't know the location of that like pause for you, it can get very it can be really tough. Absolutely. It'd be hard to go about the rest of your day. I I get it. I see it. I feel it myself. You know, this weekend I really had to try to take a little bit of a break. I'm not sure how well I did because, you know, you feel this internal struggle of you want to stay well informed, but you also need to protect yourself and your mental health. So I think it's kind of a balance. Like basically the whole theme of this entire podcast episode is just somewhat balanced there. Yes, news sources are skewed, but so is Instagram. So it's like, if you feel that the images and the rhetoric on Instagram is too triggering to you, like, you know, pick a news source that you feel closely, that you feel most closely aligned with compared to the others and tune into the, you know, refresh the news. Mm -hmm. I can guarantee you that it is not going to be as emotionally exhausting as being on Instagram. Yep. I completely agree with that in every way. Instagram, social media in general can be just extremely emotionally exhausting. Where can our listeners find you? I think, you know, they probably have many more questions for you. I could do 20 episodes with you. So where can everybody find you, contact you if they wanted to uh, learn more about what you do exactly? So I have a website, uh, Um, You can also find me on Alma, which is a like directory of therapists. I also have an old Instagram city therapist that has a lot of content that I worked on for many years. They haven't been active on it in a while. You can feel free to to check me out there. Okay. And they can DM you there. And rather than an email, they can maybe message you there to just... So the DMs are not monitored, but okay. I will make sure that my email is on there. Perfect. Alrighty. Thank you so much for coming on, Meg. This was great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Talking With Tata podcast. Please subscribe and follow along wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever that may be. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talking With Tata and our website, talkingwithtata.com.